Welcome to Restorative Justice Reflections, a show where we reflect on things that are happening in media, news, pop culture, and ask restorative, reflective questions that help us make sense of it all. I'm David Castro-Harris, and I'm here with Kalaya Mendoza to take a deep dive into the themes of HBO's The Last of Us, Episode 6, Kin. Of course, as always, the thoughts here are not to critique the story or production choices of the creators, but we hope to make connections between themes present in the story and how we co-create a world where people and communities can survive and thrive in post-apocalyptic times and now. Um, As always, if you want to learn more about how to connect with us, uh, links to get attached to our work is in the show notes, but let's get to it. I guess one more thing, spoiler alert, uh, for the first part of our conversation, everything that's happened in the HBO show through episode Episode six is fair game. You've been warned. Um, and at the end of the episode, uh, we'll let those who know the Last of Us lore, everything going on in the universe, um, is fair game. But of course, we'll give you a heads up before that. So, episode six of the Last of Us, Ken Kala, how'd this episode land for you? Oh, it landed in all the ways. <laughs> it was so. I mean, when I look at the Last of Us from a prepper and mutual protection lens. I'm always trying to pull out, um, you know, what are the themes and what are the learnings? Uh, this was really, I felt that Kin was asking us about who are our kinship ties, who are those that we consider chosen or by bio- or uh, chosen family. Um, it was, I know we'll get into it, but like opening up with um, Graham Greene and Elaine Miles, almost like stating that indigenous people are still here in the apocalypse, like, yeah, that was, that was like a a beautiful start to what was a very gentle, I felt episode, um, which showed us kind of like the differences between uh, communism versus fascism um, and what cooperation versus control looks like if we're seeing um, uh, Joel on one end and um, his brother on the other. So, yeah. Yeah. Rather gentle, uh, episode, uh, but it had a really violent start, really violent end, right? Because the first thing that we see is a recap, uh, a flashback yeah. to Henry and Sam from the last episode, um, Henry shooting Sam and then taking his own life. And then we cut to three months later, right? And in that three months, we know that Joel and Ellie have been making their way from Kansas City to somewhere in Wyoming where they uh, encounter um, the indigenous uh, the indigenous elders. Um, and, you know, that beautiful parallel of like, you know, we can survive on our own, similar to what uh, Bill and Frank had been doing in episode three, um, was a really cool reminder and foreshadowing to things to come, like maybe like future, future in the Last of Us universe that like there are lots of people who are doing it, surviving in ways that make sense for them. Of course, life is not the way that it was in 20. 20- 03, uh, 2003, when the uh, outbreak first happened. But, you know, relying on um, indigenous knowledge systems, uh, ways of knowing the land, taking care of the land to carve out a life for yourself um, was modeled really well. You definitely agreed. And it's, yeah, I, by gentle, I meant it's gentle in the, um, in the larger scope, right? I'm curious, of, and I'm wondering if any readers were thinking this, for... Um, Marlon and Florence, the two indigenous elders, do you think they knew about Jackson 
and that's why they kind of, you know, they knew about them already. And that's why they're kind of, um, uh, not warning, but telling Joel and Ellie that on that side is death. Just, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Um, I think they were warning them about something else that both you and I know is coming. Um, but I will, like another community, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, oh. like, I don't know, like, yeah. like, that's what I'm imagining that they're talking about. Um, but yeah. they might not have known, right? When you carve out um, that kind of space for yourself and like set boundaries for yourself as like, this is as far as I will go. Um, for the safety of myself and my family, you might not know what's on the other side. Um, you know, no specifics, but you know, there is more trouble on the horizon for Ellie and Joel. And I guess I'll say like, this isn't a spoiler per se. I think many viewers can infer from um, this being having the show, having three more episodes left. Like Joel isn't dead, <laughs> right? Joel is like very, very hurt. <laughs> um, and Ellie having to deal with that and, make choices around how to survive while having to take care of someone else um, is something that, you know, we're going to see, but is really important. And I think, you know, we talk about how, like when they depart from the space, like Ellie is in many ways already stepping into that role of protecting Joel. Like there, even though like Joel is reluctant to uh, share that burden of protecting their little family, their little unit, their traveling party, um, she's stepping up and like, while we haven't seen what's happened across the last three months, um, we see that she has picked up a lot from Joel and is able to take care in ways that um, he might not be giving her credit for. Yeah. I mean, like the, the opening scene where Joel said that he would be, you know, staying up uh, to watch, um, uh, to stay on watch. And then Ellie being the one to, um, uh, to basically protect him is like a, it's essentially what we talk about in our work uh, around everyone in the community has the capacity and ability to protect each other. Mm -hmm. We all have different strengths and it's important for us not to fall into a very, you know, white supremacist, patriarchal settler way of thinking about protection where it's like power over, Mm -hmm. but actually sharing that, um, uh, responsibility of protecting each other. So that was that was a very poignant um, moment. And I was like, ooh, um, I hope Joel is going to be learning about this and will, he, he'll have to <laughs> um, very, very soon. Yeah, yeah. By the end of this episode, like he doesn't have a choice at all. And I think, you know, speaking to like the saviorism, this paternalism that like is constantly showing up in the world of the last of us, specifically between Joel and Ellie. And we can see it in other spaces too. Right. Um, I think he is softening, right? He is learning, gradually learning, right. Um, he has started to trust in some ways and we'll see that, uh, play out a little bit more as we get into the episode a little bit later, but, you know, I think part of the ability to, um, trust someone to protect you and protect themselves is being able to let go of things that have happened in the past. Right. And Joel is somebody who has experienced a lot of trauma, um, who has been let down by a lot of people. And so like, he's had to, he in his mind has developed patterns of thinking about like, I'm the only one 
who can do this. I'm the only one who's like really going to look out for me, look, take care of myself. Who's really going to have my back. Right. Even in this search for Tommy, right. He thinks that he's going out to save Tommy, but like when he encounters, um, the Calvary, the, this watch party that comes out and, um, you know, surrounds him and Ellie as they're marching through the plains of, uh, you know, which is actually Alberta, but you know, pretend Wyoming, <laughs> um, and then brought back to their settlement. Um, he sees that, Tommy doesn't need saving. Tommy's yeah. good. Tommy has, um, in many ways, moved on and is living a thriving life um, with a, a community of people who he's taking care of and are taking care of him. Yeah, that the thriving part, right? It feels like I don't want to make binaries, but Joel is very much about surviving, and like we saw that with what he was doing for twenty years at uh, the QZ in Boston, whereas Tommy. Tommy's always been um, drawn to cooperation and supporting others. I mean, that's what um, one of the showrunners in the podcast said that, you know, a military recruiter probably told Tommy that he'd be spreading democracy or whatever. Right. Right. And like being able to find a space for folks who are more on the cooperative side that wants to do good um, with others is really kind of like the place that uh, Tommy inhabits. And it's just interesting to see those two um, uh, frameworks clash um, in this in in very real and visceral ways. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and the manifestation of that on an individual level versus like on a communal level looks like very different ideologies, right? It's not necessarily like just like libertarian, everyone out for themselves and like diehard, like socialism, communism, but like everybody on our individual journeys and the individual ways that we navigate the world under capitalism. I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, that's the system that you're uh, living under. But, um, you know, the way that we decide to do that systemically or cooperatively, um, maybe not like on a national level, but within the communities that we participate in, um, can look very different, right? We've seen uh, violence be the the tip of the spear and, you know, kind of the way of life in many communities that we've encountered across The Last of Us um, so far, right? Ruling by fear. Um, and it seems in this community of Jackson, while there definitely are measures to protect right? Uh, protect against infected, protect against raiders. Within the community, it's a lot more built on trust, uh, mutuality. Um, and I'd be so much more curious to learn, like, you know, spinoff show about like the origins of Jackson, right? right? What it took to like, get to a democratically elected council. Um, how do we build a multi-faith uh, worship house of worship, right? How do we decide that like, um, we have a jail, but we don't really use it, right? What were those decision-making processes? Um, I know like we might get more allusions into that into uh, season two where, you know, we revisit Jackson. Um, I guess that's a spoiler. Damn, I'm sorry. Um, we revisit Jackson. <laughs> At some point, I won't say in what circumstances, but uh, there are characters that we care about in Jackson. Uh, one of the things that uh, they encounter in Jackson is this corral that has a bunch of sheep, and like it's calling back to uh, Joel and Ellie's conversation around a campfire before about you know like what would you do uh, when this is all over, right? It's framed as like what are we gonna do, and like Ellie walks it back 
to just like, oh, are we a we? Okay, I guess like fine. What are you gonna do? And Joel talks about you know finding um, land and raising sheep because they're quiet. Um, Ellie dreams of going to space, uh, which you know is is a, it's a beautiful dream. And like, hey, maybe together they'll like race sheep in space on the moon or something like that. But I'm curious for you, you know, we're not living in the mushroom zombie apocalypse, but what do you dream of as the after this work? In the um, dystopia that we're in right now or the one in... <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think now is like a more practical question to ask. What is it that you're working towards, right? Yeah, I think for me... And I ask a lot of folks that have been doing this work for decades, like, where, where do we go from here? I think for me, I want to I wanna run a science camp where folks, you know, um, of all ages come in to learn about the local ecology, uh, most especially from um, an Indigenous perspective, um, and to really learn from Indigenous folks, like, how do we actually become stewards of the land? Um, I think that I want to one day move away from the protection work because it's, it is, I connect with Joel so much because I was like, yeah, I'm tired too. I'm exhausted. I want to do something that is gentle, that's generative, uh, that brings joy. And that's something that, you know, folks can learn from one another and from the earth. Yeah. It's hard for me to define for myself, like what after this means right because i've just embarked on a parenting journey and like what is required in that is you know the protection and guidance and safety and you know all the things that come with like being a parent for for this little one um and so part of doing that is like finding ways to be in community or contribute to community in a way that like you'll be able to monetize that um and you know in so many ways, like the work of Amplify RJ is actually doing that. I think, you know, so much of Amplify RJ's work currently is supported by work that I do with um, organizations. Um, and I think that's, that's helpful. Um, I appreciate so much more the work that I get to do directly with community members who are trying to learn these ways um, and figuring out a way to do that in some in a manner that's sustainable both time wise energy wise and monetarily uh, is what i'd love to move to i've been really happy over the last couple of weeks to like be able to make this time with you to talk about things that are going on in the world and help people make connections and i've been really uh tickled uh my heart has been warmed um with all the feedback that we've been getting from people who like are really being served by um, these conversations. Uh, I met up with a couple of friends this last weekend who were like, yeah, like, I really love this. And like, if I feel like my brain can make contributions to help people think about um, these ways of being, um, that that's, that's what feels good for me. And that can look like a number of different things. It's, I guess at the end of the day, it's all teaching, but um, it can look like a number of different things. But uh, in the zombie apocalypse, who knows what that looks like? Um, I, I would definitely want to be more a part of a Jackson community than a Fedra QZ or, uh, you know, a revolutionary Kansas City um, <laughs> party. Um, but, you know, it remains to be, it remains to be seen what, what else will manifest. Um, so with, while Joel and Tommy are 
like touring this community, Ellie is making connections with Maria, who is Tommy's, we learn, wife, um, pregnant wife um, at that. And, you know, through that connection, we see, we learn a couple things. One, uh, we learn about Tommy and Maria's history. We both learned that, you know, they've been like pretty well adjusted to their community. They haven't been shy with each other about their community members, about the loss that they felt inside of their house. Um, Tommy and Maria both have a memorial to the children that they've lost. Um, while Sarah, Joel's daughter, wasn't Tommy's biological uh, daughter right like they have a memorial for her and maria has a memorial for um her son kevin um who was who was lost and when ellie sees this um that's when she makes the realization that um joel has a daughter um who is who died around her age and she was like oh that makes so much sense in that conversation with maria um and, you know, what that's a reminder to me of is, you know, everyone who we're encountering on the daily has stuff in their past that they're not telling us. And the manifestation of their behaviors due to what's in their past, like, might not make sense to us, but that's because, like, we just don't know those things. And it's really a, a reminder to be generous and gentle with people um, as we encounter them. I think there's always the need for... Um, healthy skepticism for protection but there's always this reminder for me that like we're all good at our core and we've had things happen to us that have caused us to like try to meet needs um, sometimes in rather unhealthy ways um when you're when you're watching this scene of realization between sarah and um Maria, what was coming up for you in the moment where there was that connection that ellie saw sarah's name and Maria, who was serving, for lack of a better term, as a maternal figure, similar to Tess, for me, what was coming up was someone that was invested in not just like the physical safety, but also the emotional safety <laughs> of Ellie and was doing what they could to kind of foster that in real time. Like how we saw with Maria getting that eggplant-colored uh, jacket, oh. <laughs> like doing the, thing, the things that... Um, Joel may not have been able to do to um, to show that character kind of like um, build that. So yeah, it, for me it was um, uh, Maria just being very very emotionally intelligent and being able to um, identify what the um, what Ellie's needs were in that moment. Yeah, both like physical needs, like you know, warmth, um, menstrual hygiene. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Diva Cups. But like when we're speaking to emotional safety, and I think like physical safety as well, when Ellie is hesitant to share about her background and what's been going on with her, I think this leads to the uh, the exchange of the episode where Maria identifies that like, there's a whole lot that you're not telling me and like, good for you. Yeah. Um, that's the point. Be careful who you put your faith in because only the people who can betray us are the ones that we trust. Right. And, you know, that's both like physical and emotional betrayal, physical and emotional safety. So important when you are navigating a world with raiders, bandits, infected, um, right? People who will watch out for you when you sleep, watch out for you when you're traversing um, open territory, watch out for you while you're encountering people who you're unfamiliar with, but also holding space for you when you're dealing with trauma. Like, right, Joel does in the ways that he can hold space for 
Ellie's fear um, and sadness and rage um, in events that we've seen so far around uh, Henry and Sam dying, around having to shoot someone else, uh, Brian, earlier, right? But like he is not fully at that place where he can do that. Um, but we see that Ellie has appreciated it so much and is really defensive of any critique of Joel because he's the person who has been present for her. He's a person who has continued to show up. Yeah, and like, not to jump ahead too much, but like when Ellie when there was that point where um, Ellie overheard Joel and Tommy discussing what, you know, what the plan was and felt that betrayal and felt that, um, I can't remember the exact line, but it was, I may be safer with Tommy, but I'll still be scared. Right. Oh yeah. The exact line is don't tell me I'd be safer with someone else because the truth is I would just be more scared. Yeah. So it's, you know, it, it is about that trust. It's about uh, something that we talk about in nonviolent peace forces, like holistic safety and security. In order to be able to meet the needs of folks when it comes to feeling safe, you have to have aspects of the physical, psychosocial, spiritual, et cetera. Um, and I think because of the, um, the trust Ellie's uh, built with Joel up to this point, um, breaking that would really have been just detrimental I think we can like jump back to the conversations between Joel and Tommy uh, in a second, but this exchange where um, Ellie and Joel are going back and forth about, you know, you'd be safe. Tommy's going to take you. No, you uh, like, I want to go with you. I'd feel safer with you. I would only be more scared with Tommy. Right. I, I question that a lot. Right. There's so much about this show where I'm like, Oh, you actually could have spent like a couple days. You could have broken this to her a little bit more gently. Obviously she overheard this, but like we can have a more fleshed out conversation. Hey, I'm feeling that like, I can't protect you uh, because of my anxiety around uh, keeping you safe. Like I failed to keep Tess safe. I've failed to keep Sarah safe. My brother knows this place so much better than I do. Um, he knows the fireflies. He would be the best person to guide you on this journey. Let's give you an opportunity to get to know him. Right. Might have assuaged Ellie's fears of right. Everybody in my life abandons me because of the incident with Sam and Henry. Ellie is now more than ever committed to being the cure. She has so much purpose. And if Joel has a conversation with her about Tommy is your best shot at finding the firefight. So you can be the cure for humanity. You can save us all. Like she might have been more willing to go along with that plan. Um, we'll talk more about that in spoiler section, but they rush through all of these choices and these conversations. But I learned a really important lesson around urgency and emergencies. Um, a, a long time ago, you know, we're on the heels of another earthquake in Turkey and Syria where um, tens of thousands, I think we're approaching 50,000 people have died. And I did work in Haiti um, post the 2010 earthquake. And one of the things that I learned then from the people who I was working with is like, there are very, 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 very few things that are actual life and death emergencies that need to be attended to right now in this moment. Um, you know, that's why triage is a practice within emergency medicine. Um, but we often have more time than we think to make choices, right? And as urgently as they want to get to the fireflies so Ellie can, um, you know, so Ellie's blood can be studied, um, 
it's already taken them, you know, three plus months. What's a couple more days to again, like have these conversations, um, restock, refuel, rest, right? They haven't eaten very well. They haven't slept very well. Having these conversations about strategy, about how to go about this and like actually thinking about how Tommy is really the best person. You will be safer with Tommy than you would be with me. Um, You might not feel it, but let's get you to the point where you feel safe with Tommy or safe enough with Tommy so you can go and do this thing Um, might serve them really, really well. (laughs) Yeah, agreed. I mean, like, that's the difference between folks who, between people that subscribe to the more paternalistic form of protection, where you feel like you, uh, um, you are charged with having to make all of the decisions instead of actually reinforcing someone's autonomy, reinforcing someone's agency and like sharing that responsibility and strategizing out. It's a white settler um, myth of, um, of scarcity, right? Where there just isn't enough time. Everything is an emergency. If we actually took the time, um, to move through with folks, what the, what a plan or what the strategy is, what the plan is, um, we not only get more buy-in, but we also have more perspective on what are the things that we need to change. So I hope this is like a, a, a teaching moment, you know, really comparing Joel and this is not to fault Joel or anyone that um, subscribes to this, but we need to grow beyond that and move towards something that's much more cooperative, um, one that's much more grounded in uh, a shared and mutual responsibility for each other's safety. Yeah. And like, I think even like somatically, biologically, like when you have that pressure on yourself, like your cortisol levels um, are help are asking you to make like these fight flight, freeze, uh, fawn decisions, right. That aren't rooted in seeing the whole picture. Right. And even, you know, sometimes it's worth it to like pause and like do things cooperatively, but even in moments when you're by yourself, like pausing, right. And work I've done with Resma Menikim, so much of what he says is just pause, <laughs> right. Pause, right. like what's happening. Like, where are you feeling it? Why acknowledge that and pause a little bit more and then like move forward to make a more informed decision. That's not rooted in I'm stressed out right now um, is really helpful. And so like, I can't recommend my grandmother's hands enough or any of the somatic abolitionist uh, work that uh, Resma and others are doing. Uh, but that's an aside. <laughs> um, I, I do want to revisit the conversation between Joel and Tommy, right? Where Joel finally admits to Tommy, like the real reason why they're there. Like after this exchange about, Hey, we have done so much harm. And Tommy, the way that Tommy is reckoned with that by trying to contribute to building something. And Joel is still stuck in this survivor, uh, survivor mode. Um, Tommy's trying to build a life with his family that, uh, Joel feels like he has no opportunity to regain and like, you know, subconsciously thinks about Ellie as that family. But, you know, when we were having, when they were having this exchange, what was present for you? I was putting myself in Joel's shoes and feeling like a sense of betrayal of like, not betrayal, but more, I don't, I don't think envy is the right word, but just like a feeling of like, this is so unfair, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, 
I lose Sarah. I give up my humanity to protect, like in his, the narrative in his mind is like, he did everything. He like uh, murdered uh, uh, innocent people uh, to protect Tommy. And here's Tommy now saying that, you know, um, the reasons that he couldn't reach out to Jules because um, the, the protocols at, in Jackson and Joel automatically went right to like, Oh, is Maria controlling you? Which is interesting. Cause I was like, Joel, that's what you've been doing. So it's, um, to me, what arose was, um, Joel operating from a state of, of trauma, a state of not being able to move outside of the murder of Sarah. Um, and, I just, I was like, oh, I wish there were, don't they have like a therapist there? They, have, they must have had someone, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's, it's good to like, I just wish also going back to what you're saying, there was like a pause, but that, you know, the, either here, there, this is more learning for us, right? Like, is this moment the best time to bring, um, to bring this up? Is there a way that we can pause? So that way the conversation is more generative and is, um, honors people's trauma and experience, but also finds a path forward. Right. You know, we've gone, I think it's like seven years since they've seen each other. Right. And of course, like there's this immediate, like, oh my goodness, you're alive. I'm so happy that you're alive. But then like, hey, where have you been? I've been trying to get a hold yeah. of you. I didn't know if you were okay. That's a paternal instinct. And I think like not one that we should criticize, right? Like we want to be in right relationship with people. And part of being in right relationship is like being in communication yeah. um, in some ways, like in reciprocal relationship. And that was broken. And so what are the ways that we can repair that relationship between the two of them? They don't take the time to stop and repair. Um, they do come to a consensus about like, hey, this is what needs to be done for the good of humanity. And like, you know, we're gonna squash what has happened in the past um, for now. Right. And, you know, you always have a, like Tommy says to Joel, like you always have a place back here in, in Jackson when, when all this is over. Um, but, you know, they haven't like gotten to that place of repair. And sometimes, you know, as much as like we're critiquing the rushness, sometimes like that is all we can do in any given moments. Like we're working under imperfect conditions where we don't always have the time. We don't always have the resources um, to, like have long drawn out discussions to get um, back fully in right relationship. And we need to do, and we need to make decisions about um, community safety, community protection, or within the context of work, right? Decisions about work before everybody is fully on board because of circumstances outside of our control. But, you know, it's a reminder that like taking those pauses always being able to revisit conversations with people, always being able to revisit relationships with people um, is so, so important. Um, this episode also brought out, you know, the deep, deep bond that like Ellie has for Joel and, you know, that Joel has for Ellie. And by the time they depart Jackson, like you see them connected more than they have ever before. Of, of course, some of this revolves around like learning to shoot <laughs> um, and learning to protect yourself, learning to hunt um, in these times. But like Joel is a lot more open with Ellie about some of the things that um, about his past, about some of the things that he dreams of for the future. Um, Ellie's still cracking jokes um, and there's so much more connection and, and hope between them once they've made this choice about like, no, we're going to do this together. Um, 
and then tragedy strikes. <laughs> Any reflection on like their growth of their relationship before we get to the violence of it all? No, I, I mean, like, I think it's important to note, like, for me, this is the first time I noticed Joel smiling, yeah. right? And there being like that moment of levity and like there can be something shared once um, uh, you decide to share the, um, the responsibility um, and uh, you can show care and protection um, by extending out um, what that looks like for um, every, everyone that's a part of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Sharing so much of yourself um, strengthens bonds. And I think as even people who are playing um, protector, paternal, um, guardian roles, right? Sharing who you are with the people who are in your care is an important way to build trust, yeah. right? People don't just trust you because of the role that you inhabit. People trust you because they know you and they won't know you um, unless you share some of those things. Um, Joel and Ellie, you know, bonding over football or like explaining football, come across this, this college town where the fireflies used to be, but realize that, um, the fireflies are no longer there. They've migrated to Salt Lake city. And as they are on their way out, um, they're attacked. This plays out a little bit differently in the game, but the end result is the same with Joel seriously, seriously hurt. In the game, Joel falls off a balcony and is impaled by some rebar, and Ellie has to get him up onto the horse and escape. In this circumstance, um, Joel is stabbed uh, with the shank of uh, a baseball bat. And I think, like, before we move on to the rest of the story, this is a good time for uh, Kala's practical preparatory corner. And I'll start by saying, if you're ever impaled or if someone's ever impaled, don't pull it out but what else do you got for us yeah so welcome to my prepper corner so as we saw in this episode we saw a diva cup in episode three we saw um the pearl tampons one thing i always tell folks to bring in their everyday carry or in um, make sure you have uh tampons and menstrual products in your uh first aid kit one you want to make sure you're an ally to folks that menstruate but um, there are three ways that you can utilize this in a um, in an emergency scenario. Uh, firstly, uh, using it for its intended purpose, which is to you know, if um, Ellie had those tampons, what I would have told them is like, uh, take it out, put it onto the um, uh, put it onto the wound, and apply pressure. Do not take out the baseball bat, but um, utilizing this to um, staunch up any. Uh, any wounds is uh, one use. Uh, secondly, using it to filter water. Uh, once you take it out, you can use it as a part of a filtration, a physical filtration system. Um, there's more information on that, I'm sure, as you can find. But basically, if you were to uh, uh, find water or to um, filter water to make it drinkable, you want to make sure that you're first taking out any of the physical uh, sediment uh, or anything else before you boil it. So you can use this as a part of that kit um, uh, in uh, infiltration uh, using a, um, a water bottle that you might find, uh, stacking that up with sand, charcoal, anything else that'll take out any of the particulate matter. And lastly, using it as a source of fire, uh, as a fire starter. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've experienced in the past um, when uh, backpacking is um, not having uh, one of these ready and trying to start up a fire with a uh, wet or moist wood. Uh, as, as folks know, it's really difficult. And by the end of the day, the last thing that you want is a nice warm fire. So 
everyone should carry tampons with them on your everyday carry or in your first aid kit. There you go. And that concludes uh, Kala's Prepper Corner. Um, but back to where we are, where we end this episode, with Ellie um, distraught, needing to take care of Joel, having escaped, um, now in that protector role, you and I know some things that are coming. And before we get to the part where we start getting into spoilers, um, what were your thoughts as we left this episode? My thoughts were... Um how necessary it was for us to see Jackson, right? For folks who are, you know, the, the trope in a lot of post-apocalyptic um, media is everyone just turns into um, chaos. Um, and to be able to see a community that, you know, has um, uh, disabled folks, children, um, uh, electricity, food, I mean, I think it's very telling that Kansas City, we didn't see many children. In Fedra, children were being trained as child soldiers, but here in Jackson was a ideal community that was brought together in order to actually rebuild and have hope for a better world. Um, and that's what I that's what I kind of carried with me in those like last um, shots. And then all this with Joel, and now I'm like, what the heck? But what right. a powerful way to end the episode. Yeah, the roles are reversed, right? Ellie yeah. is now the protector, and we're going to see the things that she does to take care of Joel uh, in the future. So this concludes uh, the non-spoilers section. Uh, in this feed on Thursday, uh, we've got another This Restorative Justice Life episode. We'll be back either next Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on our scheduling Um to give our reflections on episode seven of the last of us, but this is the time for you to sign off. If you have not, or if you do not want spoilers for the rest of the last of us or anything moving forward. So five, four, three, two, one, your fault. If you're still listening. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, you know, you and I had this conversation about like, Oh, how are they going to pace this out? So what's coming in episode seven, isn't something that was in the first game, but is from the last of us left behind. Like that was in between games one and two, where we get a lot more knowledge about Ellie's backstory and some of the things that she's going to have to do. And as much as like, we're looking forward to that, we also like dreading (laughs) what's going to come with, the things that Ellie has to do in order to protect her and Joel. And, you know, so much of what we've seen um, Joel and Ellie, Joel do is to protect Ellie from having to do these things. And I'm just, I'm curious how it's going to be represented in the game, but like we, beyond shooting that one person, um, Ellie hasn't had to physically protect Joel before or protect herself um, in these ways before. And like, I wish for Joel that he had like extended more trust, right? In so many ways. So she would be better prepared for this situation. We know that she's going to do things that help them survive and, you know, move forward. Uh, But I, I so, so, so wish that he had extended more trust. So she would be more prepared for this when it happens. Agreed. Dealing with David and like um, the, uh, his crew, and these are the folks that we saw, at, um, or at least in the game, these are the folks that were at um, at the university, right? Yeah. Uh, this was like the scouting party. For viewers who haven't played the game, um, 
get ready. It's going to get really intense um, uh, as we move forward with this new storyline of um, uh, Ellie taking care of Joel and what Ellie has to do and kind of like the, for lack of a better term, um, uh, uh, side quest Ellie has to embark on in order to keep Joel alive. Um, yeah. So, yeah. This again calls back for me, like, would he, would Ellie have been safer with Tommy? Right. We know that in the end, right. Joel makes a decision against Ellie's wishes. And even though like he gave her a choice, like, who do you want to go with? Like Tommy or like, and before he even finishes, like it's you let's go is her response. Right. Um, going with Tom, like Tommy, I wonder like if Tommy would have given Ellie one, if Tommy would have, um, been more able to protect Ellie and himself in that situation Two, like even farther down the line, if Tommy would have given Ellie the agency to, Hey, you are going to be the cure and this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to deal with the consequences of that. You know, it might, um, it might've made things more difficult between him and Joel moving forward, right. With Ellie giving her life for the cause. But, um, that's that's what I couldn't help but think in in these circumstances, right? Like in the game, um, we see Tommy become a lot more like Joel, a lot more um, survival anger driven um, for for reasons <laughs> um, that you know. If you know the game, you know why. And we don't need to spoil season two for people who um, don't know yet, but. It was interesting that Joel gave her that small choice. That 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 uh, not that small choice. It was interesting to me that Joel gave her that choice about who to go with, but didn't give her the ultimate choice about you know what she's going to do with her life when it comes down to it. Yeah, because it's like paternalistic protectorism came in, right? So Joel falls back on being a paternalistic protector um, at the. Um, at the end of the game, and rather than giving Ellie that that choice point, and, uh, just decides for Ellie what to do, and in, in essence, um, screws with the fate of humanity. So, curious to see if it goes a different way um, in the show. Um, but what we've already seen in the um, in the game is Joel's a tough nut to um, to crack when it comes to breaking out of those similar. Um, cycles of uh, being paternalistic and being a, seeing themselves just as a controlling protector. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up in spoilers is like the differences between Jackson as it was represented here and is represented in um, what we imagine is going to be season two or like the second part of The Last of Us, the game, right? In this version, um, we see Jackson as it is in the second game, right? In the first game, Jackson isn't developed yet. They're just trying to get the electricity started. Uh, but the community that Jackson becomes, I don't think is like as fully like democratic and communal as um, it's represented here. You know, this comes back to the conversations that we were having about representation before, um, where if you think about where Jackson, Wyoming is and, and the demographics of a community like that, um, it was really interesting 
character choice to make uh, Maria a black woman. It was a really interesting character choice uh, or, or story choice to show uh, disabled people being represented. Um, it was also a really interesting story choice to decide that, you know, we are multi-faith. We are more pluralistic. We are all like one happy family when like we know that it's not fully. And, you know, I so want to get into the, the backstory of like the formation of that community because like doing community in that way is really, really difficult, right? Um, there are really hard choices that you have to make around um, what you tolerate and what you don't, what you're going to, who you're going to include and who you're not, because um, that's not a community that welcomes everybody in, right? They came to Joel and Ellie with guns drawn, right? Not just because they were potentially infected, but because um, they've killed other people who haven't had their community's best interest in mind. And like, how do you determine who is us and who is them in those circumstances? Um, you know, big foreshadow to game two, right? Um, is a really nuanced and and heavy discussion that like we didn't fully get to see. Yeah, agreed. I I really do hope the showrunners hear your um, your invitation to kind of. Uh, branch out and show us like the um, the prequel to The Last of Us. But, but to your point about the messiness of building community, that's part of um, I think why um, some folks are might be averse to um, not even organizing, but just like community building. We don't necessarily have to have the same. Um, I'll just say this. In coalition building, which is different than community building, but in coalition mm -hmm. building, you have a central goal and you may, your values may not be completely aligned, but if your goal is shared, um, your strategies, regardless of um, what the uh, ideologies behind them are, um, is your strategies are going to help you meet that goal. So the way I see it in these, um, in post-apocalyptic scenarios, um, we need to be able to find our um, our center or like what is it that we're trying to accomplish, right? How can we strategically build together? Um, I think in... Um, oh, can, I, I, can I jump in? Oh, sorry. Like yeah. when you're saying like how we build together, like how we build what together, right? A thriving community, who defines thriving? Thriving yeah. for who? Um, who do we include? And like, those are, those are all the things. And you know, when we say the who part, what comes up in The Last of Us is like, there are people in our community who have harmed other people before, right? Um, and when we say everyone thrives, do we say like, you can be a part of our community as long as you forget all the dirt that somebody has done for you and like, don't take revenge? Like, that might be an invitation, but then somebody else's value of like, no, loyalty to like, who I previously considered to be my people um, means that like I have to get blood or I have, there has to be punishment. There has to be some kind of retribution for um, the things that happened to me and my people before I can like be in good relationship with you is a, I mean, that's the myth of redemptive violence that the second game is almost entirely about. Um, but yeah, like we all want to thrive. Like we all want like humans to thrive like as a, general statement but how we go about getting that and like the boundaries between who are us and who are them and whose needs or desires are more important in any given moment like that's the hard part 
Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I think that what I've seen, how I've seen um, uh, this work in different indigenous communities is like having uh, a set of protocols in the way that folks show up. Um, uh, building towards or working towards decolonization is by no means an easy feat, right? But how, what are the things that we need to set in place for folks to be able to hear, um, uh, to be able to hear each other's perspectives and to be able to craft a way forward? Um, and to what you were saying earlier, like what, yeah, what are the, um, what are, there are many limitations, but like, what do we do with uh, uh, community members who um, have caused harm or continue to cause harm? Uh, what are the things in place that we need to be able to be practicing? Um, and I think that's a that's an invitation to listeners now. And I think that's why folks are listening now. Is like how do we incorporate uh, restorative justice practices into our work? Because like the um, mutual protection and um, prepping only goes so far if we don't have uh, the the heart of being able to address conflict as it arises uh, and to be able to um, uh, build a better world with folks. What does that look like? And it's going to be messy. So what yeah. are the skills we need now? Yeah, I think, you know, we'll tease something that we'll have more details about later. But if you're still listening, you know, part of us doing this work is inviting you all into visioning with us. And so sometime probably in April of 2023, if you're listening to this as it's being released, uh, we'll be convening a gathering for people to, you know, freedom dream about what building communities of safety communities built to help people thrive um look like um but until then until next week uh when we hope to have more details uh, we hope that you all take care stay safe um watch the last of us on sundays and um take care of each other be safe y'all